I don't know if you think about this often or if you take the time to reflect back to when you were a kid. And I do sometimes because in, in my mind, at least, I was a really awesome kid and I had a ton of fun growing up. And uh, I realize this now as a parent, um, I have two little girls and I'm watching them grow and my oldest is three years old, my youngest is uh, about a year and a half old and as I'm watching them grow, it's almost like reliving little pieces of my childhood all over again. And uh, as a kid, I, I grew up with this vivid imagination and I don't know if you're anything like me, but as I pay attention to my little girls and as I pay attention to some of our friends who have uh, little boys, I'm noticing some stark differences between how little girls kind of come up in the world and how little boys come up in the world. And I remember being a, a young boy, maybe about seven or eight years old, and I grew up in what I would consider the golden years of comic books and superheroes and action figures. I was a huge collector. Uh, I loved watching shows uh, that involved Superman. I loved watching Batman. And yes, that does include the original Adam West version of the Batman TV show. I had my grandmother record those on VHS tapes just so that I could watch those. And yes, I did watch the black and white version of Zorro because I had her record those as well. I was a superhero nut. But of all the superheroes that I absolutely loved growing up with, there were none more favorite to me than the X-Men. I was a huge X-Men fan. And if you're familiar with the X-Men, you realize that they started out as a comic books. And then about when I was a young boy, they came out with a fantastic cartoon TV show that I would wake up religiously on Saturday mornings to view. I'd sit on my couch, have my blanket, maybe a bowl of cereal or some waffles, and I would enjoy me some nonstop action of cartoon drama featuring some amazing superheroes. And of all the X-Men, my favorite character in that entire series had to be Wolverine. He was the absolute best. And if you're not familiar with him, he's the guy who, in the cartoon at least, wore the yellow spandex and he had a mask with some amazing mutton chop facial hair. He had the ability to heal himself uh, despite taking on incredible injuries. He also had this special mutation where uh, he had claws that would come out of his hands and, and he had been dipped into this uh, adamantium, this rare precious metal that was virtually indestructible. And so you have Wolverine who also had this unique character trait of just being angry about anything um, all the time. And I love that because as I studied Wolverine, to me, it occurred to me that, that Wolverine had this almost righteous indignation. And, and that was his view and perspective towards life, is he would go out there and, and injustice would happen. And at the drop of a hat, that man would go from zero to a hundred as far as anger. The rest of the team would be deciding, what are we going to do about this travesty and, and these rogue mutants who are bent on world destruction or takeover? And, and while they're talking about it, Wolverine's on his motorcycle halfway there to go and mess some people up. And I loved that as a, as a kid, as a young boy who was about to be amped full of testosterone. To me, that was the perfect solution. See an injustice, get angry about it, and go fight some people. Done. Like, that's a good day, right? <laughs> I remember dressing up as a kid and trying to pretend to be Wolverine. I would rummage through the, the kitchen and I would find plastic knives because there's no way my mom would be okay with actual knives uh, being used for this. And I would put scotch tape over my hands and, and have these pretend claws. I, I'd put on this yellow outfit and, and I could be found running around the living room or the front yard or backyard of my house just screaming in anger at, at various trees and animals. They were going to take over the world, I promise you. Y'all don't know this, but I've saved you at least three times. So, 
And that was me. And, and as I think back on that, and I picture little Eric running around looking like that, it occurs to me, man, I, I thought so much at that point in time that I was the spitting image of who Wolverine was. Had you come up to me and said, do you really think that you're an accurate representation of Wolverine? I'd have looked you dead in the eyes and said, absolutely I am. You know? <laughs> but the truth is, all I knew about Wolverine was what I had seen or, or read about him in comic books, you know? I'd seen him do these incredible things, and, and to be honest with you, at eight years old, I, I didn't actually have any spandex. I couldn't grow any facial hair. Had I fallen off the couch as I was jumping across and broken my leg, there's no way I could have healed myself from that instantly. My skeleton is not made of a rare indestructible metal, and I don't have claws that come out of my hands, you know? I, I couldn't actually do what Wolverine did. I, I just emulated in those moments of pretend time what I knew of his character, what I knew and saw based on the TV show that I watched. You know, as we continue this study of being Jesus, it's important we understand exactly what we're speaking to. It's short-sighted for us to think that when we aim to be like Jesus, that we're just talking about his character. It would be short-sighted for us to believe that if all we did was read into scripture and talk about from this stage about how we can improve our character and make it more like Jesus that then we would be truly discovering the depths of discipleship. Often as people speak about being closer to or more like or drawing near to Christ, they refer primarily, if not solely, to his character. It, it's often out of a desire to have a greater morality, a, a deeper spirituality, or a stronger sense of holiness even. But being like Jesus is about more than just emulating his character. It's also about reproducing his mission. Being Jesus is more than just emulating the character that we know of him. It's reproducing the mission that he modeled for us. Fortunately for us, Jesus also didn't have claws that retracted in and out of his hands. Uh, I don't believe he ever wore yellow spandex or anything like that. His skeleton wasn't made of any rare indestructible metal or anything. And so that's good news for us because the way that he lived his life, what he did, those are all things that we can reproduce. If we look at his life and, and how he lived it and what he did, we can find a blueprint of sorts, something that we can follow with our own lives and actions and not just our character, because Jesus modeled not only his character for us to reflect to the world, but provided his mission for us to live out in the world. John 13, 15 says this, and this is Jesus talking. He says, for I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Now, this isn't just Jesus talking about washing people's feet. You remember, this is the Last Supper. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples, and he has just washed his feet. And after finishing, he says to them, For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. And he's not just talking about the literal act of washing people's feet. And even if he was, let's be honest with each other. How many of us could raise our hands and say that, yes, I am an adamant foot washer of people? 
If I'm completely honest with you, I'll tell you that the last feet that I washed belonged to my two little girls and they're about this big. So it's very easy to do and they're adorable. So who wouldn't want to do that? You know, but when it comes to literally washing the feet of other people, I can't tell you when the last time I did that was, but we know that that's not specifically what he's referring to. When Jesus says this in John 13, 15, he's talking about his life. He's talking about his ministry. He's referring to his mission and saying, everything that you have seen me done, this is what I want you to do now for others. Take a look back. Look at this. And then go and do it. Don't just reflect my character. Don't just reflect the holiness that you have seen, but now live that holiness in front of the lives of other people that they might know me through you. See, this isn't just a conversation of washing the feet of others. A lot of times we think that we can simply model the character of Christ because that means we can place ourselves on some endless continuum. You know, we picture this line and as we talk about discipleship and being Jesus, a lot of us think that, okay, well, if over here is the start point and way over there is Jesus, then as long as I can plot myself somewhere along that line, I can show others that I'm working to improve. You know, I'm getting better. No one in here is perfect. No one is quite at that Jesus level yet. And so as long as I can say I'm here, that lets other people know that I'm, I'm striving for something. I'm, I'm working towards something within my character. We like to think sometimes that we can simply model the character of Christ because that means we can put ourselves on that line and, and that's enough. We think we'll never be perfect as long as people believe that we are improving, then that's okay. But Jesus didn't ask us to just model his character. John 13, 15 says that it isn't about the, the singular act of washing feet, but acting out the mission that he gave us. It's instruction to both reflect the character of Christ and to live out the mission of Christ into the world. Being Jesus is about both reflecting Christ's character and living out his mission. Understand one does not create the other. They're forever connected like two sides to the same coin. When we reflect Christ's character without living out his mission or his actions, we're simply moralists, not disciples. And when we live out actions similar to those that we saw Christ display without reflecting his holiness, without reflecting the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're simply activists, not disciples. Disciples carry both character and the mission of Jesus Christ, together at the same time. That's what being Jesus is. And that leads us to our focus today. Compassion becomes for us a perfect opportunity to reflect the character and live out the mission of Jesus Christ. I'll say that again. Compassion becomes for us a perfect opportunity to reflect the character and live out the mission of Jesus Christ. The fill in the blank in front of you is this. God really loves his children. God really loves his children. Would you turn to the person next to you and with great enthusiasm and excitement over this deep revelation, would you say to them, God really loves his children? 
Hot dog, you guys are on it this morning. I love it. Now, in the space underneath that or above it or right next to it, somewhere right around what the fill in the blank is, here's what I want you to write in addition to that. And he wants to use me, his disciple, to prove it. And he wants to use me, his disciple, to prove it. There are two stories that capture the compassion of Jesus Christ so incredibly well in scriptures, and we're going to look at those this morning. It's in these moments of Christ's ministry that we see him not only display his character, but we see him actively step into the world and life of people who are desperate to feel the hand of their compassionate Savior, Redeemer. We've been combining the accounts of the gospel together in a bit of a harmony so that we can take a look at some of these stories from all of the available angles. And it offers a very unique perspective into the authors and into Christ's life. And so it's difficult to follow along with in your Bibles. You're more than welcome to try. Um, I just discourage paper cuts uh, a lot. So we're going to put the scripture on the screen as we've combined it together with Luke as a backdrop. This story comes from Matthew 8, 1 through 4. Mark 1, 40 through 45, and Luke 5, 12 through 16. And this is what it says. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. While he was in one of the cities, behold, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged, imploring him. And kneeling before him, said to him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest, and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news. Now even more the report about him went abroad so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw out in desolate places and pray. And people were coming to him from every quarter. Let's pray. Jesus, as that song says, all we need is you. And Jesus, we want you. Jesus, we want to be more like you. Holistically, not just with our character, but God, with our lives and our actions and how we live. Jesus, as we dive into scripture, we ask that you would bring incredible clarity to us. God, that we would discover things not just about who you were, but what you did. That we might model those same things. That the gospel might be spread through our very actions and lives. Jesus, this is our heart. We give you this morning in your name. Amen. So here it is, as we look through these uh, verses once again, it says, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Now, as we look through scriptures, we understand that um, this is around the time of the Sermon on the Mount. Some scholars believe it was just before, others just after. It really doesn't matter. Jesus is kind of in that Capernaum area, and he's coming down from the hills to one of the cities that surrounds that area. And this scripture describes it as great crowds having been following him at this point. 
And I believe that they were following him. And even though it doesn't mention this in scripture, I believe that Jesus had a moment to kind of slip away from those crowds, to gain some distance. And the reason I think this is because there's no way a man who is described as full of leprosy could come into direct contact with Jesus if there was a great multitude or a great crowd of people around him. So at some point, I believe Jesus kind of shifted away from the great crowd that was following him and gained some space. And as he was approaching this city, he was approached by this man. This man who is described as being full of leprosy. It says, while he was in one of the cities, behold, there came a man full of leprosy. Now, when the Bible describes someone as being full of leprosy, they're talking about something pretty specific. For those who don't understand exactly what leprosy does, let me explain it briefly for you. Leprosy is a, a disease that infects your body. It starts with your nervous system to where it kind of shuts down some of your pain receptors and you're no longer able to sense things. So as was common in those days, you would uh, bump yourself, cut yourself, stub your toe, hurt yourself in some way, an infection would set into that wound. You didn't know it happened when it happened unless you happened to look down at the time and see that there was a wound. And because of the way that leprosy works and its nature, it not only shuts down your ability to feel things, but it also shuts down some of the natural antibodies and, and uh, healing process that your body goes through, preventing it from attacking that site and beginning the healing process. So your wound stays open, it begins to fester, and it begins to rot and erode. This happens all over your body. It destroys and erodes at your skin. Eventually, some of your limbs will begin to uh, become disfigured. And eventually, in severe cases, they can fall off. Despite modern medicine, it's estimated that in our world today, there are over 10 million cases of leprosy still going on. In this day, it, it could have been much more because they didn't have the medical advances or the hygiene that we have. And here's a man that's described as full of leprosy. We don't know if the, what he was suffering from was what I just described to you because the Bible will use leprosy as a general term for some sort of skin disease. But when the Bible says that he's full of leprosy, based on language used elsewhere in the Bible, we understand that his skin disease impacted his body basically from the soles of his feet all the way to the top of his head. As a leper in that society, you didn't just have a physical thing to deal with. You became an outcast socially, culturally, and also spiritually, in addition to physically. This man was sent outside the city walls to live. He was no longer welcomed inside the city gates. If another person was to approach him, it was his job to send them away by shouting, unclean, unclean. As if that wasn't enough, he was required by law to tear his clothes, wear his hair unkempt, and cover the bottom half of his face at all times. The only human contact that he was allowed to have was with other lepers that may or may not be living outside the city gates. He was a man who was so used to people looking through him, looking around him, doing quick glances, and then shifting their eyes back away from him, along with hearing the whispers and the comments and the judgments. Because based on scripture that was written back in Isaiah, people didn't just look at a skin disease as a skin disease. They saw it as a direct reflection and manifestation of what sin is. They correlated his skin disease with the sin that existed in his life. And here was his every day. Living outside the city, a social outcast, never to make eye contact or human connection with anyone. And yet somehow he had heard rumors and stories of this man, this prophet, 
who was walking around and teaching as no one else had taught, who, who was healing people. He had healed the deaf and, and caused the lame to walk and, and the blind to see and, and all of these incredible things. And this man gains his faith in this teacher that he hears about, decides that this is someone who can do something about my condition. It says, and when he saw Jesus... He fell on his face and begged, imploring him, and kneeling before him, said to him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. See, the leper comes and he bows down before Jesus, having heard of his teaching and ministry and powerful works and miracles, and he begs Jesus to heal him. See, the man doesn't have any question as to whether or not Jesus can heal him. His biggest fear is only that Jesus would pass him by. And isn't this the thought that so many people wrestle with? If you were to talk to people or ask people, most are comfortable saying, yeah, I believe there's a God. I I believe that this guy Jesus was around. And and sure, I might even be willing to accept that Jesus is the son of God and they're all connected and and whatever. But but that's not my struggle. My, My biggest fear or my biggest thought is if there is a God, does he even notice me? Does this God care that I hurt, that I'm in pain, that I'm suffering alone? It's not that I don't believe that Jesus can do something. I just fear that Jesus might have passed me by. The leper's biggest question at this point isn't, can Jesus heal me? It's, am I valuable enough for Jesus to care? God, will you just look at me? Scripture says, moved with pity, and a better word here than pity is compassion. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And here we are in this moment with Jesus and a man in desperate need of knowing that God sees him. And when everyone else has retracted their hands in disgust, the Bible says that Jesus stretched his out towards him. And when no one else would come within a certain proximity of him, would come into contact with him, Jesus touched him. And for the first time, at the same time, this man felt human contact as well as the personal touch of God. And what a powerful moment that was for him. He asked Jesus, will you look at me and give me compassion? And Jesus said to him, I will. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof or a testimony to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news. Now even more the report about him went abroad so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw out into desolate places and pray, and people were coming to him from every quarter. So Jesus looks at this man, and and the Bible describes his language. In some versions, it says that Jesus was indignant with him. And as I read through and, and studied that, it wasn't that Jesus was angry at the man for coming at him with leprosy. It wasn't that Jesus was angry at the leprosy itself. It was that Jesus saw what leprosy represented as sin and the great condition that man has, and he was angry 
that part of his mission was, was to destroy this, and yet he saw his creation and his children still suffering so much from it. And he had this anger towards man's condition of sin. And then he instructs the man sternly and he says, I need you to go and show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded you to do. And this is a multi-week process that Jesus is asking him to go through. It's a process that isn't easy. You see, the man is supposed to take two birds into uh, the, the temple and show himself to the priest. The priest would examine him. And then upon discovering that his skin is clean and no longer infected, one of the birds would be sacrificed over a clay jar filled with water. And the blood would drip into the water, and then they would take the other bird and tie it up with a string to a piece of wood and dipping it multiple times into that water. They would then take that bird out into a field and release it, as explained in Leviticus chapter 14. Then they would take some of the blood from the first bird and they would place it on the man's right earlobe, his right thumb, and his right big toe. And all of this is simply symbolism. For who the Messiah was supposed to be. It was a descriptive process by which they were saying the Messiah will come and he will live in our sin. He will take upon our judgment and die for us. And then he will be brought back to life and being freed before us, he will give us that very same freedom from our sins and our iniquities. And it was this beautiful process that they would have people who were cleansed of leprosy go through as a way of sacrificing and giving thanks to God. And again, this process was a long process, and, and Jesus asked this man to go through this because he doesn't want this man to just go out and, and share this story because then he knows that his reputation will be built on being a worker of wonders, not a savior of man. And Jesus understands that the mission he was given by God his Father was to save and redeem man, to preach the gospel of his Father to as many people as possible. And should this man go and share his story, people would simply come because of the miracles and the works and those types of things, not because they saw their Savior. But sure enough, we have someone who doesn't listen too well. <laughs> and he goes out and he spreads the word about his story and how he was healed and how he was cleansed. And the Bible says that people kept coming and bringing their sick and Jesus would heal them. But often he would withdraw into desolate places to pray. And then we have our last story. And it comes from Luke 7, verses 11 through 17. And this is what it says. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the buyer and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea. And all the surrounding country. Nain was a city that lay uh, a few miles south east of Jesus' hometown of Nazareth. Nain lay on the other side of the hill of Moreh from Shunem. Where Elisha had raised the son of a Shunammite widow. How crazy is this? Just on the other side of the hill. 
Hundreds of years earlier, the story of the prophet Elisha was well known and documented. He had raised the son of a widow. And here comes Jesus. And this great crowd is with him and everyone is talking and excited. And there's great joy at who Jesus is and the things that he's done and what he's going to continue to do. And just imagine what he might do in this city that we're walking towards. And there's this great excitement and commotion that is following behind Jesus. And then as they approach the city, out from the city gates comes another crowd being led by a woman who is brokenhearted, tears streaming down her face, music playing and wailing from friends that are behind her. No family is in this crowd. She's a widow and there's no one left to take care of her. The one person who is going to provide for her financially is lying dead on that cot. The one person who is going to carry on the family lineage is lying dead on that cot. The one person who would take care of her in her old age and make sure that she was handled and and cared for properly is now lying dead on that cot. Every hope that she once knew, the opportunity to reassimilate into society is now dead on that cot. And she's followed by a crowd leading the way with her son's body. And here we have a crowd of hope being led by a savior redeemer converging with a crowd of desperation and pain being led by a woman who has lost her only son and the two of them meet and watch what happens jesus approaches and he places his hand on on the cot that the young man is being carried on and his first words are directed towards this woman having never met her or seen her before he says stop crying don't cry anymore and then he turns his attention to the body of the young man with his hand over here on on the cot and on the body that is being carried. And by doing so, Jesus is now taking on the uncleanliness that was attached to that body. Culturally speaking, biblically speaking, it was not allowed to be touching a dead body because that made you ceremonially unclean. And you would then have to go through a process of cleansing yourself before you could come back into society. And here is Jesus seeing a need and with great compassion for this woman, he says, I don't care about the rules. I'm entering into the situation with compassion. And he touches this dead body, taking the uncleanness upon himself. And he turns to the body and he says, arise. And the young man sits up and he begins to talk, which is the epitome of everyone's fear who has ever gone to awake in their life. (laughs) And it's the worst practical joke ever, just so you know. And the body sits up. And he begins to talk to people. And the Bible says that Jesus gives him to his mother. And you can imagine the restored joy that this lady feels at having her son and her hope given back to her by Jesus Christ. So I look at these stories. And here's what I see in them. You see, it just, it, it, it's not just the healing or, or the miraculous signs and the wonders of Jesus. I mean, I get that Jesus broke stereotypical molds and he broke customs and standards as well as religious norms and, and laws. And I get that he did all that by, by touching a leper and touching a dead body. And I see that Jesus stepped into situations that no one else would. But what I notice most is this. Jesus understands 
Compassion is not just a character trait, but an action. See, to Jesus, compassion isn't something to feel, but to give tangibly to others. I have this shirt that says, when compassion meets action, lives change. I got it for free at a conference. I wear it all the time. I love free shirts. (laughs) When compassion meets action, lives change. I would say that when compassion falls short of action, it's nothing more than apathy. So often as disciples of Jesus Christ, we set our goal on having Christ's moral character and forget that he set a tangible example for us to follow. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ, being Jesus is not just a character issue, it's an action issue, it's a missional issue. It's not just, am I reflecting who Jesus was, but am I doing what Jesus did? See, compassion isn't convenient. Emotions, feelings, attitudes, they may not always be well-timed, but by nature, they're able to be controlled. Compassion, being that it requires action, becomes difficult, inconvenient, costly. And this is why compassion becomes for us a perfect opportunity to reflect Christ's character and live out his mission. I was on a plane coming home from a conference in San Diego. We flew from San Diego to Phoenix, Arizona, and I had a seven-hour layover there. I know. I don't make the flight plans. I just get on the plane and see what happens. And I'm, I go through the layover, and, and it's time, and I'm, I'm tired. You know, I'd been at this conference for multiple days, and I'm, I'm ready to just be home with my family. And, and I'm getting on the plane, and, and I sit down in my seat. I've got this aisle seat about four rows up from the very back of the plane. And I, I sit down, and I don't mind an aisle seat so long as the people inward of me don't have very tiny bladders. And, and I, I just don't want to talk to anyone, you know? I don't feel like making small talk or, you know, pleasantries or meeting anyone new. So out of my backpack, I, I grab my noise-canceling headphones, and I place those on, which if you've ever been on an airplane, is the clearest sign of, I don't want to talk to you ever. <laughs> And so I place those on and I plug it into my phone and I start listening to some music and I'm watching as people are coming down the aisles and getting into their seat and putting their luggage in the overhead compartments above. And soon enough, a gentleman walks down the aisle and he sits in the aisle seat adjacent to mine. And uh, the plane takes off and I still have my headphones on and I'm going throughout my flight. And every once in a while, there's a, a softer spot in the music that I'm listening to. And I can, I can hear the murmuring of the man's voice behind me. And I can tell he's very adamant and he's a very loud individual. I can also deduce that he's had a couple of great experiences at the uh, airport bar prior to boarding the plane. And, uh, which was fine because I have my headphones and I'm clearly saying, just don't talk to me and everything's going to be okay. And a little while into the flight, as he's talking and he's gesturing and his hands are going all over the place, he knocks over the drink that he had on his tray table. It spills into the middle aisle, splashes up onto me and also onto the young lady next to me. It's not the biggest deal in the world. It's not the end of the world. I wasn't that angry about it, but he felt bad and embarrassed. He proceeds to grab his cocktail napkin and dab my foot for me, um, which if you've ever had your foot dabbed with a cocktail napkin by a strange man, it's very awkward. And, and he's apologizing and, and saying some things, and I figure, well, it's rude not to listen to someone's apology. So I take my headphones off, and, and he says, here, let me buy you a drink. I said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I promise. He says, no, I insist. 
I said, okay, fine, you can buy me a drink. And so the, the flight attendant comes by and he insists on purchasing me a drink. And I say, I'd like a Diet Coke, please. And um, so she brings my drink and then we engage in exactly what I didn't want to, which was small talk. <laughs> he begins to tell me his story and, and tell me uh, where he's from. And, and he says he's from North Dakota. I say, well, that's fantastic. He says, no, it's not. And I said, I've never been there. <laughs> He explains to me that uh, he's on his way to a wedding and visiting friends, and he's only in town for a couple of days. And I say, that's, that's really nice. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they'll enjoy seeing you. And, um, and then he, he asks the question that I really didn't want him to ask. <laughs> and he turns to me and he says, so what do you do for a living? <laughs> I said, oh, here we go. I'm a, I'm a middle school pastor at a church in Sacramento. No way. <laughs> Except he didn't say way. And uh, I said, yeah, that's, that's what I do. <laughs> so that's what I do for a living. He says, wow. And then he proceeds to tell me all of his thoughts on God and, and the higher power and, and how he feels about him and what he thinks about him and different experiences. And I'm, I'm nodding and smiling, but I'm not really listening because I'm having my own private conversation with the Lord at this point. And I say, okay, God, I can see where this is going. And clearly you already know that this is against my will. So I will play along. Here's the deal. (laughs) All great stories begin with that phrase, don't we? Here's the deal, God. (laughs) Tell you what, if I ever have the opportunity to get a word in edgewise, I will go ahead and explain some nice things about you and and what I believe and perhaps share some uh, verses that I've memorized and, and we'll go from there, okay? All right, ready? Break. And so eventually... He, uh, he pauses and, and he says, so what do you think? And I said, well, John, his name was John. I said, John, let me, let me tell you what I think. You know, as, as I've studied scripture and as I've had my relationship with God, here's what I've discovered. And, and as I'm about to really get into it, you know, and, and, and go into full on preacher mode in the back of this airplane, uh, this young lady turns around in the seat in front of us and, and she's, uh, She's about college age, has blonde hair, turns around, and and she says to uh, John and I, she says, excuse me, are you talking about Jesus? She's from Australia. That's the best I can do, okay? It'll get better, I promise. Here's the funny part. Last night, there's a guy from Australia in here. (laughs) That was embarrassing. Anyways, she turns to him and says, excuse me, are you talking about Jesus? And, And he looks at her, and I look at her, and he says, yeah. And she says, have you ever felt the presence of God? And I look at her and I look at John. He's like, no. And then she says, would you like to? (laughs) Curious to see where this goes. (laughs) He says, okay. She says, hold out your hands. All right. Holds his hands out like this. She puts her hands hovering just over the top of them, right? As if they're going to play that slap game. And I don't know where she's going, so it could have happened. She does this, and and he's got his hands out, and she says, I want you to repeat after me. Say, Holy Spirit, come right now. Holy Spirit, come right now. Did you feel anything? They felt heavier. Right, okay, okay, that's him, okay. (laughs) Apparently he's a big man. (laughs) Holy Spirit, come right now, say that. Holy Spirit, come right now. How about now? It went away. It went away? Yeah, it went away. Okay, that's, that's weird because you felt it and then it went away. Okay. Um, you know what? Uh, here's the thing. I, I feel like God's saying to me that um, 
I need to pray for you, like something physically, like maybe something wrong with your knee. Uh, is, is there anything in your, your leg or your knee or something that, that you could use prayer for? And he looks at her. Yeah, my, my knee and, and actually my hip are all messed up. And, and yeah, if you could pray for that, 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 would, that would be incredible. And so in, in the airplane, in the airplane, she says, okay, go ahead and stand up for me. So he stands up, she places her hand uh, around his knee, and, and he's got, you know, he's kind of doing that half stand thing, he's just sticking his leg out into the middle of the aisle so she can reach it. And I, I'm just, I don't, all right. And so she's got one hand on his knee and one hand kind of hovering over here, and she begins to pray for him. In the name of God, through the power of Jesus Christ, I pray that you would heal this man and c- fix his leg. She prays this, finishes her prayer, short brief. How would you know if something's different? I don't know. Why don't you stand up and walk for me? So he stands up and he starts doing this. Oh my gosh. No way. Fill in the expletives on your own. No way. Is that better? Yeah, that's a lot better. That's, oh, it's almost completely gone. What do you mean almost? (laughs) He says, well, it's so much better. She's like, okay, we're not done. Hold on. And she prays for him again right then and there, okay? And she says, okay, how about now? He says, hold on. And just as he says, hold on, over the loudspeaker I hear, attention, ladies and gentlemen, we will be landing in Sacramento in the next 20 minutes. Please fasten your seatbelts, return your tray tables to their full upright position. The current temperature is 62 degrees. The current time is 11.02 p.m. We hope you enjoyed your flight. We'll see you next time. And he hangs up the little intercom thing. And now the flight attendants are making sure that everyone is buckled. And here's John in the middle of the aisle in the back of the plane doing this. And I'm watching this happen. I'm like, what is going on? And all of a sudden, John's getting so excited. He's like, this is incredible. And he points to this young kid with glasses on who's watching this. Because at this point, everyone wants to know what the idiot in the back of the plane is dancing for. And so he points to this young kid. He says, you, what do you need, Holy Spirited? This girl can do something. And the kid turns around. He says, I'm good. I just came from a conference, a different one than mine. I used to suffer from Tourette's my entire life. And God healed me from that. And I'm here to proclaim his name. He's like, that's great. Turns around to the guy behind him and says, what about you? What do you need? (laughs) Guy behind him says, I'm fine. I'm on my way to visit family. I'm a missionary from India. He turns to the guy sitting at the window seat in the same row as him, turns to him and says, don't tell me you're in on this. (laughs) The guy on the window turns around and nods and says, I'm a pastor from Mexico here to visit family too. Yeah. I turned to John and I said, I don't know what's going on, but I do know that Jesus was going to get you today. We're getting up off the plane. People are filing in the, into the aisles. The poor girl next to me looks at me and says, can I please just go? <laughs> I said, absolutely. Go with God, young lady. And so she gets into the aisle and now it's crammed and he's a few people away from the young girl who originally play, prayed and the young man who had Tourette's and apparently they were kind of connected together in the same party. And he turns to that young man and, and the young man looks at him. And he says, I feel like there's still something else that God wants to do with you. What else is it? 
And John says, well, my shoulder's kind of tricky and, and messed up. I got into a car accident when I was young, and that's what was wrong with my knee and my hip. And, and you, that's incredible because it's fixed. But then I did this hockey thing that made my hip and knee worse, but it also messed up my shoulder. And I'm in constant pain. I've never not woken up with pain in my shoulder. Can you pray for me? And this kid says, I can't, but the guy in the white shirt can. are you sure? (laughs) And John looks at me and I turn to him and I say, listen, John, (laughs) this is pretty new to me too. So here's the deal. Let me explain something to you. I don't know what God's going to do, but what I do know is I will pray for you. And at the end of this prayer, you need to understand something. When this is all said and done, I'm still me. You're still you. And he is still God, regardless of what happens. But let's see what God wants to do, all right? I placed my hand on his shoulder, my thumb where he said the pain was. It really doesn't matter where that stuff was. And and I I just prayed. I don't even remember what I said. It wasn't that important. It's all about God anyways. And so I prayed for him and I finished praying. I said, John, how would you know if something is different? I just heard the blonde lady say it, so I figured I'd repeat it. (laughs) And so he starts doing this and he's like, no way. Holy cow. He didn't say cow. And he's doing this. And he starts punching. He's like, it used to click every single time. And now there is nothing. I can't believe. And he's like freaking out. I'm freaking out. I'm like, praise God, let's get off this plane. And so we get off this plane and I I grab my luggage and and we're walking out. And I see that John is connected up with with the people, the the young blonde girl and the kid with the glasses and the rest of their party. And and as I walk by, they're explaining the gospel of Jesus Christ to him. Because this man had a compassionate encounter with God on, on that day on the plane. And just last week, I was at Starbucks with a, a student of ours named Trevor. And Trevor and I were having coffee. We meet on Monday afternoons and um, we get together and we talk. You know, it's kind of a discipleship thing. And over the past uh, number of weeks and months that we've been doing this, he's explained to me, I want to read the Bible more. I know that I should read the Bible more and I'm not doing it enough. And I, I just want to read it more. As we're talking about this and I'm realizing how often this comes up, I say, Trevor, let me ask you a question. When do you feel closest to God? Is it when you're reading the scripture or is it when you have an experience with him? Like when you go and pray for homeless people or, or go out and help someone else. He says, oh, definitely when I have an experience. I said, well, why don't we start there? Why don't we go and look for experiences with God that might spur our hunger to know his word more? He says, okay. I said, all right, so let's do this. Why don't we pray together and then we'll go find some random person to pray for and see what happens, all right? Yeah, let's do that. In my head, I'm like, oh, I didn't think he'd say yes. All right. (laughs) See what happens. So we pray together and then we get up from our table that was outside on the backside of the Starbucks that that's over on Lone Tree near Lucille's and the Carl's Jr. And we get up and I say, Trevor, I'm going to let you call the shots. Which way do you want to go? And he says, let's go this way. And he points to going around the backside of the building where the drive through is. And we start walking around and we get to the front side of the building. And there's these three guys that are sitting at this table outside. And I said, Trevor, what about them? He says, no, not them. I said, well, that's rude, but all right, let's keep going. <laughs> And then we're walking and we get into the parking lot and he looks all the way across the parking lot where the Dollar Tree store is and there's this lady that has just stepped off the curb and started to walk into the parking lot and he points directly at her and he says, her, that one. I said, all right, (laughs) you seem pretty sure. (laughs) So we start walking towards her and as we walk towards her, she gets closer to her car. We walk a little closer, she gets into her car. We walk a little closer, her car is started. 
There was another person that walked out at the same time that she did. They had gotten to her car or their car and started their car as well. We walk a little bit closer. She's still sitting in her car. The other guy backs out and pulls away. Trevor begins to say to me, I don't think we're going to make it in time. She's probably going to leave. We'll have to pick someone else. I said, well, let's just see what happens. We keep walking. Sure enough, we get all the way up to her car and she still has not backed out yet. She only had one little bag of Dollar Tree stuff. (laughs) There was not much packing involved in this process. And we get up close enough to the window and I'm like, that's all I had at the time. (laughs) She looks, she rolls down her window and goes, oh, hi. I'm like, oh, she recognizes me. All right. (laughs) She says, what are you guys doing? And I said, well, here's the deal. And I explained what Trevor and I had just did and what we were talking about and why we were at her car. And as soon as I finish, she gets out of her car. She walks around her car and with tears in her eyes, she begins to tell us something. She says, my health isn't too good right now. And not only that, but my first grandchild is about to be born. And I know that God is calling me to move out of this city into a very different location to pursue what he has for me. And I'm struggling with that a lot. My faith is so, so broken right now because of this struggle. And I can't tell you what it means to me to see a young man like you. She's talking directly to Trevor. A young man like you follow God with such incredible faith as to come up and listen to him that he wants you to pray for me. And in that parking lot, we hold hands and we pray for her together. And seeing a 14-year-old young man have his faith rocked like that was absolutely incredible. And the story that started all of this. Months ago, I was leaving here on a Wednesday night at 10.30. Had locked up the youth room, was ready to go. And I get in my car and I pull out of the parking lot. And this insatiable urge for nachos comes upon me. (laughs) Y'all thought I wouldn't talk about food today. (laughs) And, And it wasn't just any nachos. Taco Bell would not do. I had to make my own nachos. And so I went into my car and I decided that I had to not only have nachos, not only make the nachos, but I had to have a very specific brand of chips for my nachos. And there's only a few stores that carry these chips. I pull into the Target parking lot and I realize, ah, Target is closed. I pull out of the Target parking lot and I'm driving down Lone Tree thinking I could go to Walmart. And then I think, I don't want to go to Walmart at this time of night. I'll go to Winco. So I continue driving. I get to Winco. I park my car, go into the store, grab my chips, grab my tater tots, not for the nachos, but because I like them. And I get into line. And the line that I get into has two people in front of me. One lady who's having her items checked out and a doomsday hoarder with two carts filled with only canned goods. It's just my luck at grocery stores. And I'm behind him, and while I'm waiting in line, I'm, I'm perusing the other people around me, and two aisles over, I notice this lady. She's having her items scanned, and she's got two little girls in her cart. One's just a couple months old, and the other is about four years old. She's got long uh, brown hair and these big, beautiful eyes, and she's wearing the surgical mask. And it occurs to me, here's a lady who's doing her shopping alone with two kids, which I know from stories from my wife is not easy, and... I'm sure she's just had this experience where she's used to the looks, used to people making quick cheating glances and then looking away before she notices that they're staring at her daughter, used to the comments that pass her by, used to the questions about why she would bring her daughter if she's that sick into a place like this. 
and she's just trying to get through it, and, and she's getting her items scanned, and then this voice comes into my heart, and I hear, I want you to pray with her. And the word with was so specific. Had he said, I want you to pray for her, I would have been like, yes, absolutely. I will get in my car with my groceries, and I will pray for her. But no, it said, I want you to pray with her. So I started talking to the Lord again, and I said, all right, God, here's the deal. <laughs> yeah, you see where this is going. I know that you are a God of many wonders and miracles. I know that you parted the Red Sea, that you caused the blind to see and the deaf to hear and the lame to walk and all of these things. But clearly you don't understand how grocery lines work. And I don't know if you have the power to speed one up or not. But in case you do, here's the deal. If you get me out of my line before she finishes scanning the other half of her groceries, I will wait outside and I will pray with her. Sure enough, within the next few minutes, I was scanned, bagged, and on my way out of the store. And the whole time I'm walking out, I'm just looking at that checkout clerk who's still scanning her items, thinking, you have got to be the slowest person in the world. <laughs> I get out to my car. I wait for 10 minutes for this lady to come out of Winco. She finally comes out. She's got her groceries bag. She's wheeling her cart to her car. Her girls look exhausted. And in my head, I'm thinking, don't be creepy, don't be creepy, don't be creepy. <laughs> and I walk from my car over to where she's starting to load her two little girls and her groceries. And I approach her and I say, excuse me, ma'am. And she turns around. She's kind of startled. I say, hi, I'm, I'm sorry. I know you don't know me. Uh, my name's Eric and I work at a church uh, nearby. But uh, I saw you in the store and I believe that God asked me to come over here and pray with you. Is there anything I can pray for you for? And still shocked, she takes a moment and then finally says, well, this is uh, Bella. She's four years old. And um, last May, she was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia, or ALL. And my heart broke. As a daddy to two little girls, I can't imagine looking at my four-year-old daughter, knowing that she's going through something like that. And she begins to tell me her story as I help her load groceries into her car. And after they're all loaded, I say, well, can I pray with you right now? She says, well, I really, I really need to get the girls home. They're, they're very tired. And I say, I understand that. But before you go, I need you to hear something. Know that I'm going to be praying for you continually. Know that I'm going to pray for Bella continually. And Jesus wants you to know that he sees you, that he has heard every prayer you have prayed, and he has never once left you alone. She says, thank you. I shake her hand. She gets in her car, backs out, and drives off. We've connected since then over Facebook and uh, talked a number of times. I've connected her with my wife, and she and her uh, have exchanged correspondences a number of times, and in one of those Kendra, the mother of Bella, writes this to my wife. That night, although it first scared me, ended up making me feel like Bella is safe, that she will be okay. And ever since, I have not felt alone. It's amazing how one person's faith can bring back the faith of another. I really appreciate him coming up to us. It was laid and dark in a parking lot. I thought he was going to rob me at first. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> Then he asked if we were going through a hard time and that, that the Lord told him that I needed him to tell us we weren't alone, 
and that we would be okay. It makes me cry thinking about that. Cancer is such a scary, unpredictable thing, and I thrive on order and having control, making plans. I have none of those things, none of my usual securities, which made me feel scared and a lot of anxieties. I feel like he gave me some peace. I know there's no telling what can happen, but I can just feel that she is going to get through this and be okay. I tell you these stories for this reason. I believe with all my heart that God has made it his mission to show his children that he really loves them. I also believe that he desires to use us, his disciples, to communicate, display, and act out that mission always. This isn't a look at me moment and see what I did moment or any of that. I'm a normal guy. There is nothing special out me, uh, about me at all. I, I fill up pools with slime and throw dodgeballs at middle schoolers' faces for a living. Like, I, I am no one special or holy in any way. The only thing that I did in each of these moments was say yes to living out the mission that God has called me and each of us to, and that is to acting out the gospel of Jesus Christ towards the lives of other people, not just emulating the character of Jesus and hoping for the best, but to being a tangible, living, acting, breathing example of who Jesus Christ is. The first step to living out Christ's mission is understanding that compassion that the compassion that Christ modeled was one of action and not just feelings. The night that I met Bella, I believe I was carrying out the compassionate mission of God. They didn't drive off with Bella being healed. They didn't go to the doctor's office and uh, receive a report of some miraculous wonder having been performed. In fact, Bella's still going through treatment. She's still currently on steroids and chemo and a host of other medications. And I'm still praying for her. I'm still praying for that little girl. And I'm praying for her mom. And they have a very special place in my heart because they are the representation of the exact reason for the mission of Jesus Christ. Because there are people that need to know there's hope. Because there are people that need to know that Jesus really, really loves them. And that is the truth. I do know that they left the Winco parking lot having heard that God sees them because I was willing to let my compassion act. Let us not only reflect the character of Christ, but let us tangibly act out the mission that he has given us. Be listening to his promptings. Take him at his word and see what happens. It will be awkward. Deal with it. <laughs> no longer should we be concerned with being awkward because we're too busy being concerned with being Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. <laughs> Jesus, we commit to you right now to being more like you, not just in character, but in action. Jesus, we take your mission through those doors and into the streets. And God, we ask that you would make it real for us. Jesus, that through us, people would know that you really love them. We pray this in Jesus' name.